Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Save your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. And as you turn, I want you to kind of imagine with me, kind of go with me here, that you are coming off the very best month of your life. And because of the heat we had this week, uh, let's face it, this week was just hot, right? I mean, it's hot, then it got hot. Uh, we're going to put this month in January. It's cool, right? No sweating. You can go get the mail and come back without sweating up a store and getting attacked by mosquitoes. So it's January, and you're coming off the very best month. It's the end of January, and this month was the best, best month you've ever had. You received the raise and the promotion in which you were wanting. It's January, so your favorite college football team just came off winning the national championship, right? Your kids have not argued all month. Hypothetical, right? If you find a way to make that happen, write a book, right? And share the notes, right? You bought a new car, hassle-free. That never happens, right? And to top it all off, you and your spouse are going on an all-paid-for trip to Sandals, Jamaica. Some of y'all just went like this, what? Right? And here's the kicker. Your parents have agreed to keep the grandkids while you're gone so you can take a, the longest nap you've ever had, and it's going to be wonderful. But upon returning, you fly into Huntsville Airport, and anytime you have been on vacation, what's one of the first things you got to do when you get back? You got to go to the grocery store. When you've been on vacation, you have no food. You get back, you got to go to the store. Upon coming to the grocery store, you find the grocery store is in utter chaos. Y'all know what grocery store chaos looks like, right? You walk in, bread and milk is gone because we love our milk sandwiches here in Alabama. It's gone. Amen, right? People are grabbing everything off the shelves. The only thing left is the healthy stuff and the name brand stuff that nobody likes and wants. It's the only thing left. You have come off of a week, of a month that was, you would just call wonderful, to be met with chaos. Because somehow, while you were gone, upon your return, you missed, remember in January, you had missed that the biggest ice storm you have ever seen is on its way. And you missed that? and you're in the grocery store meeting chaos. At the beginning of this passage, this is where we find the disciples. We find the disciples in chaos. Peter, James, and John, they are three of Jesus' favorite disciples. He takes them with him. We don't know why Jesus chose these three. We just know that he did. These three disciples, they were chose to do a lot of things the other disciples, they just didn't get an opportunity to do. They got to see things that the other disciples, they just didn't get to see. They experienced things. And Peter, James, and John, they get to go up this mountain with Jesus. And on top of this mountain, they get what we call the transfiguration. Jesus' appearance is transfigured. The Bible tells us that his appearance is made dazzling white. They get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And not only that, Moses and Elijah make an appearance, weirding out the disciples, or the three who were there at least, they get to hear the voice of God. 
and they start to make their way down the mountain. As you can imagine, making their way down the mountain, this is the topic of conversation. You and I would probably use the term they were on a spiritual high at this point. They're coming down the mountain, but when they get to the bottom of the mountain, they are, they are met chaos. They are surrounded by chaos. They are overwhelmed by chaos. We're going to read verses 14 through 32. So you have your Bibles, follow along. Start from 14. When they came to disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and it foams at the mouth, it grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you, believe, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it merely threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has, he, has this been happening to him, Jesus said? From childhood, he said. And many times has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up and stood him up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this, is, this kind can only be driven out, nothing but by prayer. They had left that place and made it on their way to Galilee, but they did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise again three days later. But they did not understand this statement, but they were afraid to ask him. Lord God, I pray as we get ready to just dive into your text, into the word here, Lord, I pray that your spirit will just meet us here. I pray your spirit will show us the truth of your word this morning, that we can walk out these doors uh, differently and change because of who you are. In Christ's name I pray, amen. As I was preparing this week, uh, I, I realized that, listen, I, I, I've had the opportunity to, to teach a lot of the Bible. I don't think I've ever interacted with, the tech, with this text in front of a group of people before, but I have lived it. I know many of you, many of you have lived it. And what I mean by that is this. In the Bible, we find these headers in front of passages. It kind of gives us an idea of what the passage is about. The header for this passage is called The Power of Faith Over a Demon. And though I like these headers, I think this one buries the lead. I think this text can be, comes down to this. I do believe, help my unbelief. For many of us who have walked with Jesus for any amount of time, we have been here. We have felt this deep down within our souls. I do believe, help my unbelief. We look around in the world and the chaos that surrounds us. We look at a world that, is, that has been undone by death and hell and brokenness. And we look around a world, a world that seems to celebrate the very things that Jesus calls evil. And we look around and we say, Lord, I believe that you're working to make all things right, but help my unbelief. We look around and we see many people, some of you who are in situations that we would just call unfair. 
we would call our hard, the situations that leave us just feeling hopeless sometimes, not really knowing, God, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't see this ending well. I don't know how this is going to go. And we sit there and say, Lord, I do believe that you could work here, but help my unbelief. This is a very real text for you and I. Sometimes you just come across texts in the, in the Bible that it just speaks to you a little bit more. And this is one of the things that just resonates with this. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, God, that you hold everything in the palm of their hand. I believe that you are working to make all things right. I believe that, but help me when I don't. Help me when I miss it, when I'm not seeing it. This is a very real text. Lord, will you help my unbelief? Will you help me understand that you are making all things right? One thing in this text that we are kind of quick to see is that faith is not about a placement. Faith is about a person. The disciples in this passage, the ones who are left on the ground, who didn't get to go over the mountain, they thought they had this idea they could fix this. Jesus, his top three, they come down the mountain. JV, they are on the scene. There is a father who has a boy who is possessed by a spirit. And, that, and the disciples think that they have the ability to correct this situation, to fix this situation. A scene has broken out. There is a large crowd that is around him. The scribes, they show up. And the scribes, they're always going to show up to make trouble because scribes are what we call pot stirs. They're just going to be there. And here Jesus walks in. And this is the scene in which Jesus and his three disciples, they walk into this. And Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? What is causing all of this? This father from the crowd shouts out, teacher, I brought my son to you. Notice who he brings his son to. He doesn't bring his son to the bench guys. He doesn't bring his guys to the backup. He brings his son to the star player. He brings his son to the one who makes all things right. This father has a son who has a spirit who has made him unable to speak, who foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid, oftentimes stoned to water and fire. And his father is saying, Jesus, since you weren't here, I brought my son to disciples and they couldn't do it. Jesus, I brought my son to you. I figured if I can just, if my son can just have an encounter with Jesus, I know for a fact my son would be made well. I believe that. The son says, but Jesus, I came looking for you and I didn't seem to see you. So I came to what I thought the next best thing. I brought him to your disciples and they're having a problem. Namely, they can undo a demon. This is the scene in which we find Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus, he kind of gets frustrated with the disciples and he replies to them. He says, you unbelieving generation, these are not kind words from our compassionate Messiah. How long will I be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Now bring him to me. Jesus, at this point, he's frustrated with the disciples. But what he's trying to do is he's, he's using these phrases that seems like it's harsh. And it is harsh. Sometimes Jesus has to be harsh with us. But what he's doing, he's trying to redirect the thoughts of the disciples. Some of my favorite people on earth <clears throat> are grandmothers. We all love grandmothers, right? Grandmothers are a joy. I tell you my favorite type of grandmothers. I love the grandmothers who are sweet, who will bake you cookies, 
who will call you a wonderful boy. You're such a good boy. Yes, you are. You know, like you're a puppy. And then turn around and insult them, right? Like, grandmother's like, listen, you are a great kid. I love you to death. And then one minute later, go, you are a special kind of stupid. Like, I love these kind of grandmothers, right? They use insults, not to insult you, of course, but they use these insults to kind of redirect your stupidity onto something that's not stupid, right? Uh, we, we watch movies and TVs of grandmothers. We fall in love with the grandmothers, right? Some of us have had grandmothers where they would make us, we'd walk in their house, but grandmother, I want a pie. She would make you a pie. But she'd also call a dog a dog and a cat a cat when she had to. Grandmothers have this special ability to redirect our thoughts onto something different from what it is that we're doing. This is what we find here. Jesus is trying to redirect the thoughts of the disciples. He's trying to rework their thought process and show them what they're missing through this. He was working towards an idea that they weren't just missing out on what was going on. They were missing the who. The question becomes, what was he trying to redirect them to? He's trying to read that, re- re- redirect them to the who. <clears throat> These are not kind words from Jesus. How long? These statements are used to redirect the thoughts of the disciples. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he was talking to Israelite people about uh, uh, their sin, their failure to trust God. And for anyone who, who's been walking with Jesus for some time who read the Bible regularly, we know the story of Israel. They had been taken captive. God frees them from said captivity. God does miracle after miracle. And the Israelites, what were they left with? They chose to complain and grumble and woe is me and I hate this and all those kind of things. They just were missing out what God was doing. We find the Israelites, they're actually, and they are complaining, they're hungry and all these things. And God does something that we just don't see. God gives them bread and bird, right? Out of nowhere. He gives them bread and bird. These things are coming out of nowhere. Chicken minis are everywhere, right? And they still choose to grumble and complain. They believed God. They believed in him. They didn't trust him. They weren't walking with him. And at times, they wanted nothing to do with him. Moses, he would talk about the Israelites. As a matter of fact, Moses actually wrote a song about them, and it's kind of a banger. So listen to these lyrics. You are a devout and crooked children. Right? These are not kind words, by the way. You are fat, bloated, and gorged. Right? Use that next time you want to insult somebody. Dude, you're flat, you're fat, uh, bloated, and gorged. Right? You practice desirable practices. You are perverse and unfaithful. There are no sons to me. When Jesus says, you are an unbelieving generation, he is basically quoting Moses here. He is redirecting their thoughts because what we see the disciples doing in this moment, they were trying to do God's stuff apart from God. And anytime you and I try to do God's stuff apart from God, that's about me, that's about you. God's stuff apart from God is, all, is always all about us. We celebrate ourselves. We make much of ourselves. We elevate ourselves. But if we kind of pump the brakes right here, this is how you pump brakes apparently with your hand. But if you, if you pump the brakes right here and kind of realize, you and I, we have this, 
We have this weird uh, modified version of the prosperity gospel. And I don't mean the one that gets the clicks and the likes on YouTube. I'm not talking about, hey, if you give us your money, then you're going to be uber blessed. We have this weird modified version. We start to believe things like, if I do this, then this will happen. We've been there. If I can just do this, then God's going to do this, or this will happen. I'm going to make this happen because I'm doing this. Or we think, if I just read my Bible enough, then this is going to happen. Or if I just cut out this one sin, this one habit that I'm doing, if I just cut this out, then this is going to happen, right? If I keep my kids out of these things, but put my kids in these things, then this is going to happen. We start catching ourselves in these things. I know I've been there. You've been there. We all can agree we've been there. But when we start thinking about this, what we're really doing is we're putting a confidence, and this is where the disciples were, we're putting a confidence in our own spirituality, and we put our own confidence in our own spirituality. We can't meet our needs or anybody else's. This is what's going on with the disciples. Jesus, Jesus is referencing, acknowledging, he's directing disciples in this passage, the idea that they have been doing spiritual stuff that is spiritually broken because they're missing out on Jesus. This is what Jesus is communicating. This is pride really on the display of the disciples. And pride tells that we can live uh, uh, for God and do God things with, without actually communing with God. This idea that we want his power or we want the power without the presence. It's this idea that we want God to do God things without us actually spending time with God. It's the idea that we want the benefits but not really God himself. Disciples, they start to display pride, thinking they can do this within their own power. They are confident in their own ability, but they're missing the who. They're missing Jesus. But to be honest, the, the disciples in their defense, they've been kind of asked to do something that we just don't see a lot of. I spend a lot of time out and about. You probably do too, going from place to place all over, all over town. And one thing I see when I get to places, I don't see people trying to cast out demons, Right? Although, I, I, I told the staff this a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I did have this dream. Um, dreams are weird. I just want to put that out there. Dreams are weird. I had this dream that I was actually an exorcist. And here's the kicker, all right? I, would, I only performed exorcism in nursing homes. I don't know why, right? This is a dream, okay? And the weird thing about it was our old youth pastor was there with me. And this was our thing. We had these huge gold cross chains. I mean, it was weird, right? These are things we dream about, we see in movies, TV shows, but we don't just show up places and see this going on. But in Mark chapter 6, we see the disciples actually do drive out a demon. We see this happening, and Jesus actually tells them, listen, you've seen a mighty miracle of God casting out these demons. And between this point in Mark chapter 6 and this point in Mark chapter 7, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. He tells the disciples that, listen, he, Jesus is going to die. And these disciples are basically going to be living deaths carrying crosses. He has this conversations with the disciples about how we ought to deny ourselves and pick up the cross and follow him. It's this picture of you and I emptying ourselves completely and making ourselves all about Jesus. We just sang about that a few minutes ago that, Lord, your way is better and when, Lord, we say your way is better, that's us taking up the cross and following you. And he gives the, the disciples this picture. Matter of fact, the, the disciples on the ground here who did not get to go up the mountain, one of the last things they heard Jesus say was grab a cross and go. And so they're here with a very difficult situation. 
Because the crucified Savior and his cross-bearing expectations is a lot for you and I wrap, wrap our mind around. The fact that we would have to go against everything our flesh tells us to do. Our flesh says, me, 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 this, this, this. And Jesus says, no, die to that and pick up your cross and follow me. This is the last message that some of the disciples got to hear before Jesus coming down the mountain. So they brought the boy to him. The spirit sees him and immediately throws the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus said? From childhood, the father told Jesus. And many times has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. I think one of the things we do when we read a passage like this is we disassociate ourselves from the passage, namely this father. And this father serves as our camera into the text. He is our avatar. He is the way in which we meet the Messiah through this passage. And sometimes we, we have a bad habit of disassociating ourselves, but let's put ourselves in the place of this father. Many of us are parents, but we don't have to imagine much further than that, right? Put yourself in this father's shoes. This father has a, has a boy who has been possessed since he was young. And he has seen his son have seizures, foam in the mouth, become rigid, grind his teeth. He's seen his son thrown into fires and waters. There's nothing this dad can do to help him. There's not much more useless feeling there is than seeing your kid go through something knowing you can't help them out. That's where we see the father. He is helpless to help his son out. His son can't control what he's doing. He is possessed. The dad has probably tried very many different things to help his son out. And he says, I'm going to take him to this Jesus guy. But instead of Jesus, he sees his disciples. This dad couldn't even take his eyes off his kid. Can you imagine having a kid in this situation? You don't know what he's going to do when he's going to do it. Dad couldn't even go to sleep at night without worrying about what might happen to his son. And some of us have been there, maybe not in this context, we've been there worried about going to sleep for what might happen to our kids. For this father, this is his life. This is what he goes through. This father shows up to the follower, to his Jesus disciples with a burden. He shows up with a problem and he can do nothing about it. So he's looking for the one who can. And he tells Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything. I love Jesus' response is, if I can. Like, do you know who you're talking to? If I can, right? One commentator put it this way. It says, this kind of served as flint for Jesus, right? Kind of lit and kind of ignited him there. Of course I can. Remember, this man's life is weird. Every day he's overran and uh, overwhelmed by the idea of what might happen to his baby. Because let's face it, no matter how old our kids get, they're always going to be our babies. Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the father says, the one thing that is so raw and authentic, he says, I do, but help my unbelief. Maybe we can put it this way. I do believe, but help me when I don't. So raw. It is, okay, it is okay for us guys to admit 
that we have faults, we have failures. It's okay to admit that we don't have it all together. It's okay to admit, God, I have issues here believing whatever it is, situation that we are dealing with. It is okay to have these things. This father presents himself like this to the father, to, to Jesus, because deep down in his soul, this father, he has seen his son do some horrible things. He has seen him go through some things. The dad can't help it. The kid can't help it. And this dad is just thinking, if I can just get him to Jesus... And so he finally gets him to Jesus and he says, I believe that you can do something, but I'll be honest with you, Jesus, I have seen some horrible things. Nothing's working. Your disciples couldn't do it. I believe, but Jesus, help me when I don't believe. This man is just saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you meet the needs of my son, you're meeting my needs as well. That's what he means when he says, have compassion on us and help us. Faith can be so misunderstood. Because for whatever reason, we have inverted it and almost made faith as like, faith is what we use to get what we want from God. Faith is not what we use to get what we want from God. Faith is, faith is realizing, is this how we function in the midst of chaos? Faith is knowing that no matter what we happen to be going through, that we are not alone. Faith is trusting that God will get us to the other side. And if he chooses not to take us to the other side, it's realizing that God doesn't leave us alone where we are. Faith is realizing that, you know what, God can, but what if he doesn't? Right? God is capable, but sometimes God chooses to leave us where we are. He chooses to leave us to go through the situations in which we are going in. And faith tells us that, you know what, God, I don't know the outcome. I don't see how this can even go well but I, I, I believe you could do something faith is realizing that we're not alone going through the hardships and trials and suffering and sorrow that we're going to feel in our life some of you are there now you're going through things faith is reading the lyrics we just sang about Jesus is better his ways are better faith is reading the lyrics of songs we sing and believing they are true even though every bit of doubt wants to flex within us and say I believe but trouble because the world is so broken my life is so messed up i have trouble believing the words that we read i have trouble believing the things i read from scripture faith is realizing that god has not abandoned us despite the situation which we're in for whatever season we're going through we, we know that jesus is there we know that he does not leave us alone it's realizing that there are times in our life that we're going to have one foot on the hill of how great their art and some foot in the valley of god where are you and that is perfectly fine we're going to have those moments lord i believe but yet i struggle Faith tells us that no matter what it is, God meets us there whatever season we're going through. God meets us there, and he will always meet us there. Jesus meets this man in the midst of his needs. He, met, he meets the disciples in the midst of where they are. He meets us where we are at. And in this part, part in this text, Jesus, he is, he is frustrated with the, with the scribes. Oh, he's frustrated with the disciples. But with this man, we see compassionate Jesus. 25, when Jesus saw a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You notice this young man's crisis has become a sideshow entertainment piece for everyone. 
And Jesus shuts that down. The chaos here needs to be addressed. It needs to be cleaned up. And Jesus does just that. We currently live in a society where many of us will grow sucked into conversations about horribly tragic things. And they kind of become talking points for us. But sometimes we forget what the Bible says about lament. We've forgotten about the Bible teaches about grieving and weeping for others and, and lifting other people up, but we get sucked into other people's problems. Sometimes we enjoy talking about them. This is the scene. The crowd is looking. What's going on here? Jesus shuts that down quick. He commands the Spirit to come out. Verse 26. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse. So that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood up. He looked like everything was lost for this little boy, older boy, however old he, he, he had him to be, I don't know. What we have in this passage is that Jesus is giving us the picture of the resurrection. Mark's gospel is a little different. You, you get a quick blip into the resurrection. It's, it's very quick, right? But the resurrection, it is threaded all through the book of Mark. We see it there with a the little girl and with this little boy. Jesus is showing the hope of the resurrection. Anytime we see, we see him interact with someone who is dead or anyone who is, seems to be good as dead, we see the hope of the resurrection. We see it here within this text. Jesus takes the boy. He stands him up. Everyone thought the boy was dead. There's probably gasping. <gasps> Right? A miracle had taken place, they say. He gives us a glimpse into the resurrection. Verse 28. After he had gone into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And then he told them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. I didn't understand this text when I was younger. When Jesus says, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer, I thought it was odd. Because I thought he meant, but the disciples just didn't pray. I thought that was a weird thing to say. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus is saying to the disciples this passage that at that moment when you prayed, you weren't really worrying who you're praying to. You just wanted to do a, a cool, magical thing for people. You weren't concerned about who you were praying to. You were about what you could do. In this text, he, Jesus teaches that with spiritual power, it cannot be assumed because if it can, it leaves us ministering our own power and that becomes about our own power. And we believe in our own power. It means we have stepped away from the power of the resurrection. Jesus is pointing this out to the disciples. They cannot do anything apart from Jesus. You and I, we cannot do anything apart from Jesus. We cannot do anything on our own. You ever try to do something on your own? You mess it up. Disciples here, they're trying to do something wrong. They're trying to cast out this demon on their own. What does it get them? Jesus being frustrated with them because their lack of putting their focus where focus should be. Disciples have seen it done once. They thought we can do it again, but they weren't relying on the power of Jesus. They're relying on the power of self. And we rely on our own spiritual power. It means we've stepped away from the power of the resurrection. In this text, Jesus is teaching about himself. He's teaching us that, that the hope that he provides, this, in this text, Jesus is, is giving us a glimpse that he is the only one who can make all things right. In this text, Jesus is the only one who can handle this situation correctly. 
He's showing us that he meets us in grief. He meets us in celebration. He meets us where we are, the good, the bad. He's always there. Jesus meets this father in the midst of chaos, in the midst of hardship. He meets disciples in the midst of pride and failure. He meets them where they are. Jesus meets us where we are. Many of you have probably been like me. You've been in the room where people are praying and begging God to change the situation wherever they're in whether it's a dying family member, whether it's a horrible situation, a health, whatever it might be, we have been there where people are begging God to change the situation, to change the outcome. And sometimes when God doesn't change those things, we might think to ourselves, okay, that means God didn't meet me in the midst of what I'm going through. He didn't meet me in the midst of prayer. And that's not what happens at all. God meets us in the midst of whatever we're going through. God may choose to do something in which we may wish he did. There's always things that we can go through our life and go, God, I wish you would have done this in this instance, but you didn't do it. But he meets us there. He reminds us, my ways are better. You don't understand it, and you might not understand it this side of heaven, but my ways are better. I meet you there. I'm for you. I'll tell you how much Jesus forced. Jesus is so much forced that he went to the cross for us. He demonstrated how much he forced. And the Bible tells that if he is forced, then nobody can be against us. If he is forced, this should be, bring great comfort. If he is forced, nobody can be against us. In those moments where we feel alone and isolated, which by the way, if being a, people, a cross-bearing people who were supposed to, supposed to carry our own crosses there's gonna be moments you feel alone and isolated we've been there where the, where, where it, whether it's, it's what's going on in the world whether it's going on in a situation we feel as if we have been left alone we have been left alienated and God meets us there he meets us when we are spiritually dry he meets us when we are spiritually saturated he meets us in the midst of pain he meets us in the midst of chaos and he is okay with us saying God I believe but help me because sometimes I don't he is okay with that he wants that what we see here going on in the scripture is very authentic sometimes we see things that just are real to us in the Bible and this is one of the things that's real to us because we've been there Lord I believe but yet I don't and Jesus meets us there he met this father there Jesus could at any point said, okay, well, if you don't believe, if you're having trouble believing, then fine, I ain't doing that, right? That would have been my your attitude, sure. That's not what Jesus did here. He sees this man, the father says, I believe, help my unbelief, and Jesus says, yes, I will meet you where you are. For some of us today, we just have to remind ourselves, you know what? God, I don't have it all figured out. And it's okay that we don't have it all figured out. I think sometimes as, as Christians, we think we're supposed to, but we're not. We don't get the, get, we don't have all the answers. We don't get everything figured out. And what's beautiful of that is when people outside the church seeing us say, listen, I don't have it all figured out, but yet I'm gonna hold on to the faith I have in Christ, and it points people to Jesus. Despite whatever situation we're going through, we point people back to Jesus saying, yeah, I don't get it. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust Jesus anyways. 
Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes I need that reminder. And this morning for you sitting here, maybe this is real to you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what? There are times I just struggle to believe in the promises of God. I believe the struggle that, you know, his ways are better. I struggle with that. Some of you are saying, listen, I'm in a situation right now that I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on. I want to believe, and I say I believe. I am struggling to truly believe it. This morning, the praise band is going to play in a minute when they do. Allow that time of response to take place. Bring it to the throne of the Father and say, Lord, I don't, I struggle. I believe, but at the same time, Lord, there's part of me that doesn't believe. Lord, do you help me in my unbelief? Jesus will meet you there. I mean, for some of us, like, listen, I don't know anything about this Jesus guy. I do not have a relationship with Jesus. I'll be right here. I'll be glad to have a conversation and point you to the person of Jesus and who Jesus is. Because I'm going to tell you this. I would rather walk through, with, through life on my very worst day with Jesus than going through my best day without him. He's worth it. And the more you experience of Jesus, the more you go, man, that's true. So now let's have that conversation. Maybe this morning, maybe God just laid something else on your heart and, and you just want to deal with it. Don't leave today without dealing with whatever God is working on you. Take care of that this morning. The altar will be open. Come, pray, lay it at the foot of Jesus. Whatever it is that he has laid on your heart, deal with that. Or maybe this morning you're like, you know what? We would love to be a family here at Harvest Baptist. We would love to have you. Man, come on down, join the church. We would love for you to be a part of the family as we join together in mission for uh, the kingdom of God and to see great things happen for the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, just remind ourselves that Jesus is better than all of it. We sing these things, but do we believe these things? Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.